Hi friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Tie That Binds podcast with me, your host, Ty. This week we sit down with a, a good friend of mine, Claude. I met Claude some years ago on a bus trip to Orchard Park, New York to take in a Buffalo Bills game. Little did I know as we were rolling down the highway in that bus discussing signatures that he would actually become one of my best friends. Uh, even though we don't really talk all that often, we have a lot in common and I have a lot of respect for him. Claude opens up about self-care, some reflection, his native ancestry and going back to school as an adult during COVID. We talk about the meanings of life and he gives us some sage advice. So join me please and have a listen as we talk with an old pal of mine, Claude. You know what I mean? I feel yep. like I feel like you've got something to say. So okay. anyways, yeah. So welcome, Claude. Uh, I'm super, super duper happy to see you. Um, unbelievably excited yesterday to see you. That was that was so cool. I feel yeah, I feel like uh, whatever you call the last couple of years has been unique, and we just never got together. So, so yeah, hanging out last night and, and being awesome was was huge for me. I always knew that I was going to get here. I always knew that some at some sure. point I would be here. I didn't know for sure when and what for, but I knew that that morning that I went to your house and you were leaving that that wasn't the last time I was going to see you. I knew that. Well, I think that's kind of where a good friendship lies. Yeah. Like we talked this morning, um, I don't, the, the need for constant communication, I don't see a need for it. I, I know where you are. I know where you live. I got your yeah. phone number. If I needed you badly enough, I'd, I'd hunt you down. Yeah. And likewise, right? You know, so for me, there's no, no yearning for constant communication. But uh, distance makes the heart grow fond. Absolutely. So we spent three years not hanging out or talking much, but that's all in the past. Mm-hmm. We got caught up last night and had a boatload of fun and some decent chicken wings and then a super late snack. and A couple of... Uh... There's a couple of stories told, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just telling lies. Yeah. Stories, lies yeah. and reminiscing and Yeah. So so we talked last night um about uh your your new career or your new path in life. So um I want to start there. I want to I want to hear what it is you're doing, where you're working and uh and then I'm interested to hear specifically uh going back to school as an adult. As mm-hmm. a father, a spouse, a professional, working and going back to school to further your career, I'm I'm interested to hear about that. Cool. I'm uh, I'm I'm gonna try and make it as interesting as I possibly can because I, you know, it's uh, going back to school was something that has been hovering over me my entire adult life because I wasn't sure if it would ever happen and I wasn't sure why it was going to happen. And those questions needed to be answered before I could start. Yeah, we have to justify yeah, it, right? Yeah. You can't just jump in for, yeah. for university at, at, in your 40s. You have yeah. to justify it on all accounts. It's not like going, deciding to go shopping and picking up something extra for the family. It's, it's a significant decision because it impacts everybody on many different levels, right? I mean... Uh, I think I've said this a number of times, but I guess I'm, you know, I kind of slid into my 
career sideways on my ass. Like there was never a straight path. I never really had it figured out what I wanted to do. So I, uh, you know, I started off in youth justice. Um, well, I guess one of the stories we shared last night is how that happened is, is that I, I went on a date and saw a movie that really impacted me. It was murder in the first with Kevin Bacon and, and, uh, Christian Slater, Gary Oldman. But, um, I just had, I recognized that even, maybe not even. Okay. So I recognize that regardless of what someone has done, what choices they've made, everything happens for a reason. So I always knew that when someone, you know, commits a crime, there's a reason for that because I believe that at their core, everybody wants to do well. You know, we all, we all have a purpose and we all have a need for connection with others. And when you, when you, when you make choices that inhibit your ability to have relationships with others, I think that there's something pretty significant that's the cause of that. So um, that was sort of my mindset when I went into corrections. Like I, I'm, a, I'm a, originally, I, I got my diploma in correctional worker in 1997. So, um, you know, like, and you know, you've, you've heard that Garth Brooks song, Unanswered Prayers. Like sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. That's kind of where it is because I think I'd be pretty miserable if I had achieved my original goal to write the the exam, the provincial exam, and and get hired on by the Ministry of Community and Correctional Services, um, because it's not a very pleasant job. Sometimes, I mean, it can be. I would imagine there's extreme uh, uh, a sense of rewarding. I'm trying to think how to word that. A lot of uh, self fulfillment for doing the right thing, right? And, yeah. And do and knowing you you've played your part in the in the system for no other reason than just for the kids on its own. Yeah, yeah. But it's also very taxing. I mean, you you are you know it's it's twenty four hours a day. It's three hundred sixty five days a year. I remember early on in my what is my marriage. Um, having, you know, family come to the house and it's Saturday afternoon and I'm getting ready to go into work while the rest of the family is still visiting. And it's like, oh, this is not, you know, what I, this is a part of the, a part of the goal that I didn't recognize how much that would impact me. And it was just really exhausting. You're constantly shifting from days to nights. It, it wasn't for me, but I didn't know that because for me, that was just, I saw that there was something there that I could do which is like, you know, you, your connection with others and how you can help them get through these difficult times. But I had no idea what, what it really was all about at that point. So, you know, after that time, I ended up working in the education system for, it was over 13 years that I was a child, child and youth worker. Um, but always knowing that I needed to, that wasn't it. I wasn't going to retire as a child and youth worker with a school board. So... Uh, I actually met a couple of other CYWs there that were doing access work, access supervision. So, so they were, you know, supervising access for uh, families where, for whatever reason, they required another party, whether it was child welfare involvement specifically. Actually, it was child welfare involvement, but sometimes child welfare can be just like custody access disputes, and that's where it gets really messy because that's not really a child protection issue. 
at its core, it becomes a child protection issue when the children are impacted by the interactions that have to take place for the custody access agreement to be carried out. Because the welfare of the child is always the top priority. Yes, it's absolutely, it should be at the center of every decision that's made. But as adults, sometimes we miss the mark on that. Sometimes we, we, we don't keep the people who have the least amount of say and are most impacted at the center of all of the decision-making and the actions, like our decisions as humans and people and how we interact with each other. <clears throat> Sometimes our own stuff gets in the way. And that's where it's a sticky situation, but sometimes child welfare does become involved. So, yeah, that's that's one of the unfortunate times. I mean, it, a lot of the times are unfortunate, but that situation specifically, there are services for that, but they cost money, you know? It's third party. Um, but when the actual child welfare agency, when they get involved, it's, it's not really ideal because that's not what we're all about. Um, so, yeah, I started working in, in uh, doing supervised access, and then... I was feeling a pull to leave, but I had nothing else. And then my better half knew that I was not satisfied with where I was and that there was something else for me, but could never figure out what it was. And one of the things that her and I discussed many times was doing the, the like getting into the child welfare role, specifically like actually carrying out these services, you know, um, responsibilities and I said I can never do that um but what I actually was saying was I can't do this where I am now it wasn't right for me something didn't sit right so I've always known that somewhere down the line um there is indigenous heritage on my father's side so I don't have any facts um I've I've always identified as Métis my family uh, my father's family has always been, to my knowledge, very staunch Catholic, French-Canadian Catholic. Um, but, you know, as you, you continue to get more knowledge about the truth as to how we got from, you know, first contact uh, to today, when you start to really understand what went down between those two points, um, it, it starts to make sense. So what I'm assuming is that at some point a a French man uh, encountered an indigenous female. I'm not going to say woman because I don't know how old this person was. But at some point there was an interaction of some sort. And we can do the math because, like, I'm here now. So we can, you know, whether or not that that indigenous female made the choice or whether that choice was made for them to have offspring, um, that's that's where my family lineage is from. Because I don't know where, where the you know I don't have much facts about uh, my family line. So I can only assume that um, because there was no sort of cultural knowledge um, in my family about what being indigenous means, uh, it's it was totally absorbed into like my family was staunch Catholic so there was none of that and you know the more you understand the further apart those two poles are when you talk about indigenous ways of knowing and 
Christianity. So um, that's what I understand it to be. That's my. So it's an uncomfortable conversation, but I mean, I think that's kind of why you and I are here right now yeah. for no other reason than to have that conversation and whoever listens, listens, but it's like we said this morning over breakfast, it's just, it's part of life and, mm-hmm. and, and that's what it is. We can't change the past. All we can do is do better in the future. Absolutely. But uh, this is this is what happens, and and because of that, your dad was born, mm-hmm. and because of that, you're here, yeah. and you've got your three lovely kids, and and you know the cycle continues on. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, always knowing I was indigenous, but not really understanding what it meant, right? So, what was your dad's relationship with that? Was he just indifferent to it? It just it was what it was, and you know, say la vie, life goes on. My dad says he's part Indian. Which is, you know, that's that's not a, that term was not used prior to first contact. That's not, that's not how, how Indigenous people identify. They do now in the same way that other words are used for other races. You know, there's, there's words that, yeah. that you know, I'm not going to say it, but there are words that, that uh, races used to identify themselves they've kind of taken it back that is correct yeah from the man we're not going to use those i'm not going to use those words in this discussion but that word i and i now see it as very similar to some of those words that word indian i'm actually surprised at myself that i'm using it right now but it's 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 on par it can be used as the same sort of slur the same sort of nature as some of these other words that start with other letters of the alphabet, if you know what I mean. So if you could if you could put a timestamp on that, I feel like um, we, even within our federal government, like there's the Indian Act. Correct. Um, that word, um, as far as I'm concerned, uh, and this is maybe ignorance on my end, excuse me, um, I feel like that word is fairly interchangeable with natives, um, First Nations, uh, you know, uh, so... Perhaps there needs to be, uh, perhaps there needs to be some discussion of maybe stop using that word. Absolutely, uh, but yes. but I think the average person probably doesn't know that. Right. So when you think about that word and what it means, you know, there is a country on the globe that is called India. So if you remember, you've heard the stories about Christopher Columbus that Christopher Columbus was trying to find a new passage to India and he found, you know, Turtle Island, which is what the original sort of name for North America is, not was, but is. So I, I, you know, Christopher Columbus, Russell Peters does a bit on this and he jokes that Christopher Columbus got lost and uh, found some land and said, look, Indians, (laughs) you know, like, um, he was just kind of taken back and dealing, trying to cover up the fact that he was lost. That's kind of the angle that Russell Peters uses. But I love it because it's actually paying homage to a man who was lost. When you use that word, the I word, you're actually paying homage to a guy who was lost. And then when you think about what what he was trying to carry out and, and what ended up happening, which was terrible uh, to the people who inhabited this land... Um, you know, it, it's it's kind of like he wasn't worthy of that. Well, I think he showed up with the intent that uh, 
finders keepers, right? He's the first one here, therefore it must be his, right? I've I've staked my claim. This land is now mine, and and from what I understand, um, brought lots of disease with them, like scurvy yeah. and and smallpox, if I'm not mistaken, and and brought this stuff from uh, was he English? He was Spanish. Spanish. He was he was he was coming here on behalf. I think he was Spanish. He was coming here on behalf of the Spanish. I don't know what to call it, government. I'm not sure if it was a king or, you know, the leader of Spain. Um, but he was, you know, that's who he was kind of working on behalf of, who his, what his work was, you know, carrying out the, the, the orders of, you know, the Spanish leadership. So, you know, when you pay homage to a person that's lost by using this word, it's kind of been taken back by indigenous people, though, because they'll refer to each other with that word but not, you know, like, it wouldn't be right for me to go up and, and say that and and refer to an Indigenous person as the I-word because it's the same as, like I said, other words, right? So I I, I think I asked this a moment ago. We didn't answer it. Um, when, when is this? Like, is this in the last 20 years? Is this in the last five years? Uh, when, when, when is that term, when, since when is that terminology not deemed appropriate or is this a belief of yours? I don't think it's ever been appropriate in the same way that some of these other words have never been appropriate. We just are aware now when you really start to think about it, you know, this is the reasons why it's not appropriate and, and the reasons why, uh, an indigenous person has taken this word back and uses it is the same as other cultures using their words and taking those words back and using them in their, in their popular culture. You know, um, it's, the, it's theirs. They own that. They've taken it back. And, you know, uh, and really like the Western society doesn't really understand why that's okay. You know what I mean? Well, I guess maybe that's what we're going to try and figure yeah. out today, I guess. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, I was unaware. I mean, I guess I guess I always kind of knew that specific word is, you know, there's better ways to describe it, right? Indigenous, yes. you know, First native Nations. to the land, First Nations, or just prefer, if if they are Mohawk or Cree or Ojibwe mm-hmm. or Mi'kmaq or any of these other ones, yeah. just prefer to the individual as, oh, this person belongs to the Mohawk territory mm-hmm. and and that's all that needs to be explained just to say that I was born in Ontario so I'm a Canadian you know it's no different than just saying that this individual or this family or this group is what they are mm-hmm. just refer to them as such right right you know like uh the word Mohawk is is actually also a word that was I can't remember where it came from but I do know that the translation is uh cannibal monster that's where mohawk came from and the the term the the name Haudenosaunee is the people of the longhouse or the people of the flint um and that is who you know uh like the nations in this area where we sit today that is uh the Haudenosaunee like the the mohawks of of bay of quinty and and then uh, Tainanaga First Nation, which is not very far from us here, is also a Haudenosaunee nation, much like the Six Nations uh, area in, you know, the Hamilton, Brantford area. Um, so those are the terms 
that really identify who those people are because those those first nations across you know the northern half of turtle island let's call it not the c word <laughs> um you know those are the proper terms but it's so outside of the understanding of the western education system is has never i don't i didn't know i remember talking about huron i remember talking about iroquois I don't know much, I don't remember learning much about their ways and why they were different and how they were unique. Um, I'm still learning about that. But it's been acceptable to, you know, go from the I word to now First Nations for those who, uh, you know, have direct connection or lineage that they can trace back to a specific nation. I don't have that. I can only make assumptions, which I, I really don't feel comfortable doing because I don't know what the truth is, right? I know we're talking about how I got into my university <laughs> and we're getting carried away. But, uh, you know, the, I, I think that a good policy for, you know, it, it's, it's talking to someone and finding out how they feel they should be identifying. You know, if you're not sure, I, I think it's okay to ask. Because um, there's a lot of misunderstanding. I think... Just getting it right is what's important. Yeah. You know, and 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 I'll freely admit it. Yeah, I'm fairly ignorant to all this. That's why we're having this discussion. Mm -hmm. I believe this discussion is important. Uh, and hopefully the 50 people that listen to this show <laughs> are, are having a keen ear to this and maybe look at things and maybe the way they conduct their business differently. And, and you know, I, you've given me now things to think about. Um, God, I'm trying to remember where I was going with this. But, uh, yeah, I think just getting it right mm -hmm. is what's important. And if you don't know, I don't think there's any shame in asking, mm -hmm. um, whether, whether it's reaching out and asking someone like you, is this appropriate? Um, am I using the right words? Or if you're on a territory or reserve, you know, just asking what, what, where are we? What is, what is the native language here? What, uh, what nation do you belong to? Just, just getting it right. Just being informed and, mm -hmm. and just being, being accurate with your information. I think that's what's important. Yeah. Uh. You know, something that comes to mind for me is, and I've used this a number of times, is that we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. You should be listening at least twice as much as you are speaking, which I'm not very good at sometimes. <laughs> I think you could probably, uh, you can probably, I, you can attest to that on my behalf. I talk a lot, and I don't know if that's just because of who I am, or uh, I don't really like the sound of my own voice, but I don't know, I just feel like I have something to say. <laughs> Um, well, the thing with you is, is you're saying things. You're not just speaking words for the sake of speaking words. Yeah. You have a story to tell. You have, yeah. you have uh, original thoughts and original ideas, and you're, you're well-educated. Yeah, so you have meaningful things mm -hmm. to bring to the table, mm -hmm. which, which regardless of who you are, um, what line of work you do, what you do for fun, or what you don't do, I think that's, I think that's important. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Having meaningful conversations, even, even just as simple as uh, just small chit-chat. Yep. But yeah, having conversations with people. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I getting. I guess I should get back to you know my path. <laughs> yeah, I mean this is good though. This is good information. We've kind of gotten off the beaten path, but that's okay. Um, I really think that you can't go wrong if you ask the question and really understand. If you're trying to show an, to, that you want to get an understanding of how someone wants to be addressed. And giving them the choice to make that decision on your behalf, I think you can't go wrong. Sometimes it's okay to not understand, you know? 
Um, yeah, you know what? You're 100% right. There's lots of things, especially in this day and age. Things are moving a little quicker than I'd like to admit right now. Yeah. I find in life, um, yeah, I find my kids are growing up a little quicker than I'd like. I, I, I haven't seen your kids in maybe three and a half, four years, but I mm-hmm. can't even imagine how mm-hmm. fast they're growing up. And, and things are moving quick, Absolutely. in my opinion. Uh, and this is included um, addressing people, how they want to be addressed. Um, but, st- yeah, God, it, it really is tricky. Yeah, it is. It is, but I really feel like if you if your intention is pure and you really just want to respect someone's wishes by showing that you're you you want to identify them as how they wish to be identified, you really can't go wrong. And it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks because you're respecting that person and their preference, right? Whatever their however they feel, if you're meeting that for them, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. You can't go wrong. I really just feel like that's, a, that's, you know, what I hope my approach comes across like is to meet someone, is to identify someone or to, to refer to someone as how they would prefer to be referred to. Um, so yeah, I uh, started working in supervised access, bringing it back around. <laughs> um, and uh, there was always a push to get out. But I always, and I, like I said, I always knew that I wanted to uh, move on. Uh, I just didn't know where yet. And I didn't think it was in child well-being is what I call it. now. But uh, I found a, a niche. I always had my mindset on a specific role. And uh, I thought that if I could get that role, that would be like the ideal and that there was nothing beyond that. I ended up getting that role. Uh, long story, we'll get into it today, but it wasn't everything that I thought it would be. And I didn't feel uh, that I, like self-actualized. I didn't feel like it was it. It wasn't, I hit the target, but the target wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And then the opportunity came. Uh, it was actually one day that I could probably look back on a calendar and tell you the date that the change happened for me. My team that I was on was invited over to do a day of learning um, on uh, a First Nation. And I really had no idea what to expect when I got over. The, the First Nation is on an island, water access only. And I, I really didn't know uh, what I would see when I got there. But it was very much um, not what I expected. You know, while I was... I'll get back to that after. But uh, where where is this Georgina Island First Nation? So Georgina Island First Nation is an island on Lake Simcoe, um, and it is about a ten minute ferry ride from the landing on the mainland, which is right in the Georgina area. So Georgina is a town um, that that's comprised of a few towns. Actually, it's a township. Um, Pefferla is one of the towns. And then Sutton uh, is close by as well. And then there's Keswick a little bit further away. But uh, in Virginia is uh, really the area where the the landing is. But, you know, that's in York Region, right? So York Region is still, I believe, one of the fastest developing regions in Canada. If not, it's definitely Ontario, if not Canada. I actually would have thought that maybe would have been Brock. Mm Mm-hmm. 
maybe or well, I mean, you say it's York, so it's York. It's in just inside of York Region, yeah. But uh, you know, one of the things that people don't really recognize is that, um, you know, when you hear about the 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 issues with water on First Nations, they don't have drinkable water. There's boil water advisories, and you think about one of the first places that seems to come up in people's minds is Attawapiskat. Attawapiskat is quite a few hours from the center of Toronto, right? But Georgina Island First Nation was on a boil water advisory for a number of years and only recently is able to consume the water coming out of their taps without having to boil them. You want to talk about one of the biggest tragedies in this beautiful land we call home, the fact that there's people at this exact moment that don't have access to proper potable drinking water Mm -hmm. will always blow me away. Why this is not the absolute pinnacle of what's important on all levels of government blows me away. How in this day and age, you know, like that uh, diesel spill and none of it this last winter, I think maybe it was, and they were like three weeks. Mm-hmm. Like, look, what, what are the feds doing? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what it costs. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it was $100 million. Mm-hmm. Just fucking fix it. Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. So what's the population of, of the First Nation? I don't even know what it is, okay? But I know that there was a particular leader of a political group in Canada who was in an interview, and they were posed the question, you're just going to write a check to ensure that all First Nations have <clears throat> access to clean drinking water. And that leader, his response was, let me ask you a question. If it was the city of Toronto, would you still be asking if I was going to write a check? Yeah, it wouldn't even be a discussion. It would there, just, would be, there would be no discussion. It would just be the crews have been dis- deployed, dispatched, whatever it costs. That's yeah. just what it is. Yeah. And, the, and then the, the, the reporter said, it's a lot of money. And he said, if this was the city of Toronto, would you be debating this? And the reporter didn't really have much to say. And then they said, why are we asking if Indigenous people, if we can afford, if, if Indigenous people should have access to clean water? Why is it even a discussion? It's a discussion because the levels of government, it's very different. Indigenous affairs works very different than how the rest of the country works. For, for the better or the worse? Indigenous affairs is a federal mandate. It's, it's, taking, it's, it's, it's served by the federal government. By, it, the province is not involved in things with regards to Indigenous affairs the way that they would be for non-Indigenous in the same situation. So, for example, um, the health care uh, benefits, the health care plan is a federally run um, program, I guess, for lack of a better word, whereas for you and me, really, because I'm non-status, I'm white passing. Um, you see me on the street, I'm a white guy, you know. But, uh, you know, we have Ontario health cards. Um, uh, the, the Indigenous, the First Nations who have status, they, their, their benefits, the non-insured health benefits, is taken care of by the, the feds. Um, they used to have, uh, you know, the I-word hospitals, um, the health centers. They're, they're, that's a federally run program, whereas for everyone else, it's run by the province. So if I'm not mistaken, I think I remember seeing on the news um, some of the Western uh, 
native uh native groups are trying to reclaim that on their own mm-hmm. and uh trying to keep it in house they're not mistaken there's a number of areas that indigenous more, people are taking back some more self governance yes not worrying about yes. the blue or the red party in control yes they choose their own destiny and do what's best for them which it, is a huge leap because um well i mean it's government overreach, I guess. Yeah. Just the government assuming they know what's best for you. Yeah. Therefore, we do it this way, and that's the way it's done. And the native community out west is, is, I think it's in Alberta, maybe northern Alberta, saying, no, no, we're going to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of areas in, in indigenous life that indigenous people are starting to take more of a... <clears throat> they're, they're, they're enacting their inherent rights. Um, child well-being is one of those, actually. Um, Bill C-92, I believe it was. Uh, that's become a law. It's um, with respect to children and youth, Indigenous children and youth, with regards to child well-being. So again, child welfare, as we know it, is a provincial mandate for Ontario, for Alberta. Each province, you know, runs their child welfare and carries out their child welfare mandate through... Um, it's the provincial government that leads that. However, with Indigenous, uh, it's always been the province, but it really is something that the nations themselves are now able to take on. So you're seeing First Nations who are going to be um, carrying out their own child welfare responsibilities. So they're going to be having workers that are you know, working directly for the nation. Um, the 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 thing that's sort of misunderstood with that though is that they're still required to meet the mandate at minimum of their local so their provincial what the provincial mandate is they're still going to need to meet that they're just going to have a completely different approach you know more aligned with what they value yeah. and 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 what they deem to be priority versus maybe not so yeah. uh high on the pecking order of their priorities correct yeah so they're going to, uh, you know, um, so for example, my agency, um, when you compare it to the mainstream agency that's in the same catchment area, our approach and how we, uh, the weight that we put to, to placing a child in care, for example, requires authorization from as high up as the executive director. Whereas, you know, uh, in mainstream agencies, sometimes you'll see where a, a worker is, you know, in, informed by their supervisor that, that they're bringing a child into care based on the worker's um, assessment and the, the discussion between the worker and that supervisor. Whereas, you know, if I'm, if I'm counting levels of, of hierarchy within my agency as far as, you know, responsibility and... Uh, and the ability to make a decision, that's, uh, there's three more levels in my agency that are enacted to make those decisions. There's three more levels of leadership that are enacted and consulted before that decision is made to bring a child into care. On many occasions, not every occasion, but on many occasions, that's how my agency's approach is. So you see that, you know, just with that fact alone, um, you see how much more significant, how much more weight is put on that decision. It's not just, let's go get him in the night. (laughs) 
you know, there's a lot of thought and a lot of consideration and some pretty deep, um, some pretty deep, you know, consideration and the impact of on a family when you take a child out of their parents' care, when you remove a child and place them in care. That's pretty heavy on a family and the child, of course. Well, these decisions shouldn't be made lightly. No. It should always, when we said it a minute ago, like, but the well, the well-being of any child should be focus one and then move on to the next mm -hmm. steps. Uh, but yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what kind of weight comes with that. Yeah. Yeah. Like unbelievable, really. Yeah. So, you know, like, why do I, why am I in this? And I think that, you know something that I've always been aware of as well, but didn't really understand is that I am the child of a child that was in care. My mother was in care since right before her fourth birthday, her mother passed away and my grandfather uh, fled. We don't know where he went. Where was he was in, my mom has never had contact with him again. So there, there was, you know, no family could take in my, my mom and her two siblings. Uh, one of them, one of my mom's siblings was, was with family. And then my mom and her younger brother were in care. And, uh, so I, you know, like I have always, well, there's a lot of missing pieces in my, my story. Right. So that means that there's a lot of things that I don't know about, like, uh, health history. I don't have any idea. Um, I don't know about. You know, my mom has little memory about what her childhood was all about in the early days. So that's kind of a missing piece because it does, it comes down the lineage, right? You are product of your environment. Well, I mean, they, I mean, I've heard before the average human has no memory before the age of four. So if your mom uh, became part of the system in and around the age of four, there's a high likelihood she doesn't remember anything of her dad right. or her mom or anything before the age of four. She has some memories that she's described to me, but you know, your, your mom, your memory and your, how you understand relationship with others is formed very, very early. Um, and, uh, we could get into that in a, probably another podcast in all honesty, but I'm not the person that is has should that anyone should consider qualified to answer these questions i just know what i know based on you know what i've been taught so i'm not the expert right i'm still a student in that area for sure like most areas of my life pretty much all of them actually but um yeah so recognizing that uh you know i'm the child of a child in care i that's how i make my connection to um that also ties into my understanding of, of the impacts of, you know, uh, assimilation and, and genocide and the residential school systems and the, the reserve system and all of that. Like I, I identify with that, but in a, in a roundabout way, because it's actually my, my mom, who's of Scottish descent that experienced that it's not my father's side. Um, so, you know, when I started to, when I was doing this access work, uh, this access supervision and moving into the other role that I was talking about, I really started to realize that, you know, these people who were doing these jobs just needed to have a good heart. It's not about a piece of paper. 
because really you're just working with people. You just need to be qualified in the eyes of the system to carry out that work. So uh, I'd been, you know, there'd always been a push from my better half to say, like, go get an education, figure out what it is you want to do. You're not happy. You need to decide. I can't make this this decision for you. And I, she was absolutely right. So I, I say uh, shout out to Christy for yes, this, absolutely. For, for pushing, for pushing you. Um, that's just, in my opinion, the marker of a, a strong relationship yeah. and, and her seeing maybe you're underperforming or maybe you come to the realization you have more to offer in a different role, supporting different people or, or you know, fill in the blank. It could have been anything. Maybe you went to school to become a mechanic, right? Yeah. She's always been my biggest cheerleader, but, but I misunderstood it as, you know, she was, it was a reminder what she was saying was 100% correct. It was a reminder that I needed to make a move in order to make change happen. Change is uncomfortable, right? And and growth happens with change. You don't grow if you're not if there's no change. At the very basic level, learning a skill is uncomfortable because you've never done it before. But you're growing and change has to happen. You have to to learn something. And you know, one of the barriers for me uh was finances of course uh, i mean we live in difficult times this this is our reality so going back to school is a pretty daunting task as an adult but uh an opportunity came up and i uh i knew some and still know some great people who encouraged me um who told me that i could you know when i was telling myself that i couldn't the rest of the world was saying you can or maybe you were maybe level-headed thinking i shouldn't well, do this. I shouldn't because I've got. I have to. I have to make X amount of dollars per day, week, and month to su- to su- supply for your family, right. and and maybe talking yourself out of it. Yeah. Because it is difficult. I can't even imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, it was. T- so I got the current job that I am in right now in September of 2019. Um, one of the best interviews I've ever had. Um. And uh, when the when I was offered the position, they did let me know that there was a condition that I uh, acquire a Bachelor of Social Work within five years of my date of employment. So I didn't really understand the weight of that at that moment. But, you know, in my mind, it, the answer was yes. I just stopped saying I can't. And I said that one time, I will. So... That was September 2019, and we all know that March 13th, 2020 was uh, a Friday. It was March the 13th, a Friday the 13th in March of 2020 when the announcement was made that the province was shutting down, you know, the school system in Ontario, uh, regardless of where we were in this massive province that is the size of many nations on this earth. Um they the, all of the schools were shut down for an additional two weeks after the break, right? So we typically have March break for a week, but this was going to be a three-week break. And I think this is the first school year that we're getting through right now. We're mid-May in 2023, and this is the first school year that hasn't been impacted in some way by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, there's been no shutdowns, and I'm knocking on wood as much as I can. I'm not a very superstitious person, but... It's been a long time, but the initial message was three weeks. Uh, so 
I was just into this role. I had just actually completed my six month. I just passed probation in my role when the COVID-19 pandemic was, uh, was, uh, when it became like, you know, to when, when it was impacting our life here in Ontario. So, uh, I, I, I was still learning my role and it was all kind of a very different way of learning when you're learning it through, you know, on a screen. And I'd never been through that before. Had you up to that point actually been to a brick and mortar school for for this uh, social work program? No, I applied during COVID. <laughs> so I started in, it was late August. We had our first course in August of 2020. Uh, we all met and we figured that maybe we would do like the first year virtual and then move into in person. Um, the fact is that we never did. You know, the entire three-year program was uh, was all virtual. So we've actually grown really, really close. You know, it's uh, I can't imagine what our relationships and our connections with the rest of the group would have been like had we been in person. Um, but doing it in a way that still allowed us to be at home was quite amazing. And, you know, I we, we always, we were, we were pressing for in-person learning and it just never happened. But we also recognize that the fact that we were all depending on the virtual platform to get together, uh, I think it brought us closer because we could, we knew that that's what we needed to do to connect, but it was our only way as well. Like there was no in-person opportunities. So, um, you know, one of the things that uh, we did was we started a reading group, like a study group together. And the first one, it was my idea, but it was selfish. Because I knew that I was not going to read all this material on my own. There's too many distractions. Life is is busy. So I made a suggestion to uh, the group to, you know, I'd like to open up a study group. And uh, I'll, I'll send a link out for a, a meet, a Google meet. And uh, we did it. And uh, I didn't even know what it was going to look like yet. I just figured that we were going to uh, all read ahead of time and then discuss the reading. And then someone said, why don't we just read it together? So that's what we did. We read to each other. <laughs> we, our group of people, we'd take turns reading these 17, 18 page readings that we needed to do. Uh, we learned later on that it was a little bit over the top than what we needed to do. Uh, we could have just, there's, a, there's strategies to reading this material that you can use so that you get an understanding without having to read word for word. Um, unity and numbers, right? You guys Absolutely. all just agreed at the beginning. Um, this is an arduous task, right? You're yes. you're completing a diploma online yeah. via computer, where you really should be on campus, right? Yes. You should. That's where the the think tank comes from, being on site, and yeah, which maybe is maybe more fun when you're 19 or 20 years old, living right. campus life, you know, living in a dormitory, you know, being awesome and whatever else, but. Um, <laughs> doing whatever you want, doing really. whatever you want, right? You're yeah. away from home, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you did it as a group, which I yeah. think is pretty cool actually. Yeah, it was, it's, it was an awesome way for us to get through some pretty daunting tasks. Um, and we had the support and we relied on each other to keep us, uh, accountable, you know, and that that really was beneficial for a lot of people. But it was my own selfish need that I even posed the idea to people. And the truth is that I could have had this need and never had it fulfilled 
had these other people not agreed to do it, not agreed to participate. So I'm grateful for them. But I was serving my own need by offering to set this stuff up because I knew I wasn't going to get through all these readings. So this is um, what I can only assume basically like a full-time job. Studying for school is many hours a day of commitment, I would have to assume. We had, we, my program completed a course after five days of class. So you got, ideally you'd have a week or two prior to the course, the actual days you attended virtual class where you had the course material, all the readings you needed to complete, an idea of what the assignments were going to be. And uh, a lot of us, like the week before class, we'd, we'd schedule a study group like each night of that week before the week of class. And then probably at least three of the days that we were in class, we would be meeting with our groups if we were assigned group work or just to do some reading. Um, at least three days of that week, we would be together virtually outside of class time to either work on group work or do some readings. So it was quite a bit. And then we had a couple of weeks usually after each course where you were working on assignments and due dates were a couple of weeks later on. So it was very different from anything because, you know, I'm at a different stage in life now. I'm 47. I'll be 48 this November. Um, but, uh, you know, I noticed a tipping point in, in how I place in groups of people, you know. Um, Are you a leader or you maybe do you lead from the background or I'm not trying to use the word follower. I'm trying to think of a more tactful way, but. Some people are natural leaders and some people don't want the spotlight. They just want to just get in and do it and, you know, be, maybe be more, you know, blending in with the wallpaper. How, how do you identify in that regard? I like to, like what I have to offer, I'm open to, um, to, to you know, if, if someone else can benefit from what I have to offer on my team or someone else even in the agency, I do what I can to try and offer what I have to benefit someone else. See, the term leader for me, like, I, I struggle with that because a leader shouldn't really be the person who's telling everyone else how to do their job and what they need to do. A leader should be, uh, you know, you become a leader by other people seeing what you do and seeking your guidance and then, you know, knowing that if you're in a difficult situation, that that leader is going to help you through it. So they're not pushing from the back. They're pulling from the front. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. yeah. So I got a lot of respect for you for, for doing all this during, you know, uh, difficult times. Uh, still working, I would have to assume. Your mm -hmm. wife's still mm -hmm. working. You're trying to teach your kids from home. Yeah. Which was a bit of a trip on its own, but, yeah. um, and having the self-discipline to buckle down and do the reading that's required and doing the courses when it's so, um, loosey goosey, right? There's mm -hmm. nobody standing saying, you know, Claude and the rest of the class, you need to have this done. You know, it's not like math class when you were in grade 11, you know, the buzzer goes, you're done. Mm -hmm. So you're completely self-motivated. You know, you are, you're autonomous. Uh, yeah. This is your money. The teacher doesn't care if you don't do the reading. The mm -hmm. teacher doesn't care if you get the assignment done. Mm -hmm. This is your future. You're blowing it or, mm -hmm. or, or striving, you know, one or the other. But yeah. um, 
the distractions are crazy. Yeah. I can't even imagine what that's all about. It was, uh, you know, we had each other to to hold ourselves accountable to ourselves and to each other. And that's why it was successful for me. Because I knew that there was a group of people that I was a part of who, you know, we kind of, um, we all wanted to do the best we could in uncharted territory. We'd never really, who else in history has experienced post-secondary education during a global pandemic? At never. It's never happened. So it hadn't been really understood. We didn't really know what, you know, what we were up against. Well, that's kind of the whole thing with that COVID thing anyways was, you know, the last time there was this global pandemic was like 100 years ago. Yeah. So nobody's really alive then as it is today. So we, you know, you've got, you know, maybe written texts of how things happen, but nobody's ever experienced it. Like, what the hell do you do? Mm-hmm. Everyone was learning. That's why it was a debacle, I feel like, because nobody really had an answer. We all just did the best we could mm-hmm. with whatever resources we had or didn't have. Right. And, and whatever we were told was good and not good, just that's, we just, we're all flying by the seat of our pants. Absolutely. And looking back on it, uh, could have been handled way better, but all things really didn't, well, I mean, I don't think it was that, that bad, all things considered, but I, I certainly don't want to get into that debate today. That's for sure. It was certainly a challenging time. And, and, you know, in, in the work that I do, there was a lot of concern because a lot of the catch nets that, you know, uh, a lot of the, the places that children are when it's, you know, when, when information is shared that a child is struggling or a family is struggling, those were gone. You know, we get a lot of calls from schools, um, daycares or, uh, you know, out in the public neighbors. Now, all of a sudden, everyone's at home. And unfortunately, home is not always a happy place for every child. And that's hard. It's terrible. Because that's really, that really should be the one place you are safe. Yeah. And feel welcomed and have a warm bed and something in the fridge. And that should be your safe spot, wherever that is, whether it's your bedroom or the living room or the front foyer. But yeah, every child has the right to a safe spot. Yes. But that's not our reality, right? Not every child has a safe, they don't feel safest at home, which is a shame. It's really unfortunate. But those children were in that space, and those people that they were able to feel safe with were not present, you know, during that time. And we didn't know, like, what was happening. We didn't, there were, you know, there wasn't, people were struggling with mental health, and they still are. I mean, there's lots of people that are still struggling with the the aftermath of COVID and what it meant and the changes that have come to, you know, what, what, what the financial situation of your average family is now versus what it was four years ago. It's very different. Things are much more expensive. Um, there's high demand on a lot of things that it's, the demand has grown because the supply was reduced. Um, and that's, you know, it's, it's become more and more challenging to raise a family, a functioning, like a well-functioning family where, you know, there's healthy relationships. And then when you factor in the fact that not all of those relationships are healthy relationships, it's, it's very, very difficult. Um, so there was a lot of worry in the back of your mind. You're like, what are we missing? 
you know, all these kids that normally are in class and getting breakfast club, for example, or a snack bin, they don't have that anymore. And the food's scarce in their home. And they're afraid to go to the grocery store for the first time because they don't know if they're going to go and get sick and carry it home to their family, right? So, you know, that's, that's the environment that we learned together in. And I'm actually in some ways grateful for it because it enabled us to learn and still function at home, you know? Whereas, but, but you're lucky, though, you were able to pull that off. Some absolutely. people couldn't have. Yeah. Right? Some people just flat out couldn't have. Yeah. I, Christy was or, and is a very supportive factor in all that. And she was, my, like I said, my biggest cheerleader. But I needed to make the decision, and I didn't really understand. I didn't have a clear pathway for what that decision was going to be. It had to all fall into place exactly as it did. I don't think that a 19-year-old Claude would have chosen social work. But I also didn't know that there was a role for me in social work when I was 19. You're very compassionate. You might be one of the most compassionate people I've ever met. Thank you. I, I consider that a compliment. Sometimes it, it feels like it's a, it's a weakness or a character flaw. Because it's hard. It's hard to carry. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't even imagine. I even mentioned it last night. Like, just the weight of the world yeah. would be on your shoulders uh, just because you care so much. It comes out, uh, you know, at inopportune times sometimes. Um, it, it's, like I said, it's heavy and it, uh, it's taxing. It's, I'm not going to lie. It's taxing. Because if you're doing these, these roles for the right reasons, you, you don't just close your your laptop bag at the end of the day and everything about the work and everything you know and all of the the decisions and the thinking that you don't close it up in that laptop bag it you know sometimes you'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning thinking about something about another person you know that's not intimately involved with your family but you are with theirs because of the work so that's a challenge so because of all that, um, how do you take care of you? I need to work on that. That's an area of growth for me, a huge area of growth. Um, I know what I should be doing. I have all the answers. <laughs> yeah, for other people's problems. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I know. And you're always, and not saying you specifically, but you're always the last to worry about you, right? Yeah. You know, you, you take care of the kids you uh, support at work, and then you come home. And support your kids, mm -hmm. the ones that ultimately mean the most to you. Not mm -hmm. that you're rating the kids, but uh, they're yours. You have to maintain a home for them, yeah. And you have to be a spouse, um, and and the day to day chores that come with being a parent and a spouse and a full time employee. But uh, yeah, I think everybody could work on that a little bit. Whether mm -hmm. it's um, self care, self love. Mm -hmm. Uh, just going for a walk, maybe on your own, or maybe not. Maybe maybe being alone isn't what you yearn for, but yeah, um, I think that's important. I hope you continue down that road for taking care of yourself. It's a work in pro. I am a work in progress. I know that for a fact that I'm not there yet. That's an area I still need to. I've been focusing so much on getting here. Um that I never thought about what it meant once I got here. What did that mean now that I have this job that I never thought I would have? 
uh, in, in all honesty, a salary that I always thought I wasn't really worthy of. Um, so, you know, what's next? I think about that all the time. So I actually am just about to transition into a new role at work that's going to take me into a different space in the system. Like I'm going to be a support for caregivers, um, you know, as opposed to working directly with, with families. So it takes me aside from like the, the hustle and bustle of, of, of what the work can be. That to me sounds like an excellent idea. Just remove yourself slightly, mm-hmm. you know, to stage left. Let let other people do the heavy lifting that you have been doing and, and use this opportunity to back off a little bit and still have your expertise and your, uh, your encouragement and your uh, passionate ear. But, but do it because it's probably what's best for you mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. just support the people that are doing what it is you do now and you can rely on your years of experience to say, you know, we've been down this road before, whatever situation that is, and here's what happened, here's what worked, but let them execute it. You, yeah. You're just, you're doing what's best for you. And yeah, removing yourself a little bit. I, I would have to think that's a going to be a, a very good decision probably for you. Yeah, it's time. I need to, I need to take better care of myself. And that's one of the things that has been difficult to, absorb into my you know in my thoughts it's been difficult to actually acknowledge that yeah i you don't have to be uh right in the middle of the fire everything in order to to help put it out you know what i mean yeah i do no i know exactly what you mean um because you, you you weren't put on this earth to work correct you you and we're all here you know, to live a meaningful life, and and if you choose to procreate, so be it. But you, your job isn't to eat, breathe, and sleep, work. Correct. So, yeah, you have to figure out how to mitigate that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and be a human being, yes. and take care of yourself, and take care of your loved ones. Yes. And uh, and that kind of stuff. Good yeah. for you, Claude. Yeah. I. It's taken some time to, you know, recognize that it's okay to. To, to to consider you know what's best for you um and still keeping the children that we support the children and youth at the center of all of the decisions if i recognize that maybe someone else would be better suited for that then it's my responsibility to to say i need to step aside from this role not because i you know it's got nothing to do with how i feel about those children and youth that I'm walking alongside I am struggling with like the fact that I'm not going to be visiting them anymore uh but but for me it's the right choice for me you know I still I cherish the relationships I've formed um I feel like I've established a pretty good uh reputation where I am and people see me as like a valuable member of the team um, I've built amazing relationships with the people on my work team that I'm leaving, but I don't feel like this means that those relationships end. They just change, right? Change is uncomfortable, like we said, but that's okay, you know? Um, so yeah, I guess, uh, I have the job that I, 
you know, I'm just finishing up the qualifications for. So I'm going to be able to stay in my role. Um, I'm changing into a different role. And then, you know, the whole self-care aspect. So what do I do to take care of myself? I need to uh, follow a plan is what I need to do. Yeah, I mean, I'm super big on plans. Um, I, I find if you put pen on paper, yeah, that seems to help. It helps me. Not like I'm looking to give you any unsolicited advice, but um, writing stuff down, I mm-hmm. find, hold, holds me accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, if for no other reason, it's visual proof. Yeah. That you put pen to paper. Mm-hmm. That's why you'll see my desk here. I've in in the closet. I got notes and and I'm always writing stuff down. Um, I always tease Crystal. She's a, a list master. She always puts down on a list. Of yes. The itinerary, the grocery list, where we got to go, what we got to do, what we have to do, what we didn't do, what we should be doing. It's always on a list, and and I and I feed off of that because it works. Mm-hmm. And I'm big into plans. I'm mm-hmm. always like, we need to come up with a plan. And plans are subject to change, but mm-hmm. but yeah, good for you. Yeah, good. I uh, I feel like what I should be doing is you know kind of deciding on what I'm going to eat and stick to it. Um, and go to the gym and go walk, get out in the sun. You know, we we take, you know, people take vitamins because they're missing something in their diet. Or they're not getting what they need. And one of them is just by walking outside and being in the sun. You know, uh, it's so important. We're not meant to be stuck inside a box. I think the human nature is to, is to work in relationship with everything around us, which includes our source of energy, which is the sun. You know, it's the center of, of what we understand the vast of everything to be our center is the sun i totally agree um actually um i don't remember i don't know if you remember this or not but uh one night we were doing our thing years ago and our mutual friend uh cliff also and i don't know how spiritual he is um i hope he listens to this i hope he listens to this exact episode um i remember him saying that that for him was ke- what kept him going is he was a firm believer of the sun. Yeah. He was a believer of the sun. And I remember not really thinking about it too much. I, I was thinking about other things back then, but, but I'm in agreement to that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why, um, we go as camping as often as we do. Yeah. We use it as an, use it as an opportunity to force ourselves outside. Even though I work outside a fair bit, I don't think that that counts. Um, so we shut the phones off or, you know, don't have access to the phone because sometimes where we camp, there's no cell phone reception. And then use that opportunity to be outside and and be a little bit more one with Mother Nature and enjoy the sun and and soak in the rays of the sun. I feel a million times better mm-hmm. when I get uh, just some good quality time outside. Yeah. Uh and I, that's free. You don't have yeah. to, you don't need a gym membership for that. No, you don't. You just need to allot yourself some time yeah. daily. Ideally, you do it daily. I think what the gym, the significance of the gym for me is that it gives me permission to set aside everything else to just focus on me. And one of those things is that I'm paying for it, so I need to use it, right? And that's kind of your. For me, maybe not your, but my way of saying to like all of the things that I could be doing, no, I'm paying for this gym membership, so I'm going to use it. I don't have a gym membership right now. I'm considering one, but I've never felt better 
than after a day outside. Even in the shade, you don't have to be out in the sun. You don't have to walk 20 miles. Just a day outside, I always sleep better that night. Yeah, if nothing else, yard work. Yep. You guys have chickens at home just tending yep. tending to the coop, whether it's cleaning it or, or whatever you do with the birds. Raking leaves, mm -hmm. uh, mowing the lawn, playing catch with the young lad, yeah. uh, hanging up laundry, yeah. just being outside on a lovely day. Um, yeah, it's super important. Absolutely. And, and I, it's free. That's the kicker of it all. All yes. you do is just you have to go through your front door yep. and sit on the deck in the shade. Yep. You don't, yeah, you don't even have to be productive or anything. It's nope. just getting outside and, yep. and disconnecting from the Wi-Fi is, mm -hmm. is something I find also quite important. Mm -hmm. For the first time in my life, uh, you know, I, I never had dogs growing up. I never had a dog. So I have the first dog I've ever had now. He's eight right now. And I never understood the relationship that forms between man and dog. Um, and I have two now. <laughs> so obviously, you know, we recognized as a family that... Uh, you know, our guy is, is getting older and I mean, that's a reality that I'm still not really willing to face, but, um, but we like, you know, we, the, the experience of having him has been amazing for us and me specifically, uh, you know, coming from being a person who wanted nothing to do with dogs and just finding them a nuisance. And now recognizing the significance of the relationship and how beneficial it is. For me, uh, we decided to get another dog because we knew we weren't done at one. Um, so we have the second dog. People think we're crazy for doing it, but we, the reason why is because we wanted that dog to, to, un, to see and, and feel and, and understand how our relationship is with a dog. We wanted them to learn from our first dog, but they're a completely different breed. Uh, you know, this one, we, their second dog is a, is a hound. So they are driven by their nose. And uh, when she was, you know, less than a year old, uh, she was born at the end of August. And, and the following spring, there was a day, I remember seeing it. I was outside with her, no leash. And she just noticed the birds all of a sudden and just, was you know trying to hunt she's a hunting dog that's human intervention has created that in her right that's her we've bred dogs to meet our needs and and that prey drive in her is so strong because of human intervention so <clears throat> it's different with her but one of the things that you know having her requires is that she's always on a leash when she's outside because she just doesn't understand that recall is just not there. She's so driven by her prey drive or predator drive, I guess it is, and her nose, you know. So she doesn't respond to recall when she's outside. In the house, she's great. We're still working on outside. So she needs to be walked. And that's one of the things that I do. It's part of my day. You know, it, it's, the dog's got to walk because that's... When you think about the fact that that's, that's her whole world, right? Her whole world is either in your house or she's a, she's linked to you via a leash. Uh, she doesn't do well on a lead. You have to be close by. But uh, that's one of the things I do. I take my dog out. It's the last thing I do before I go to bed every night. 
because she needs it, and uh, I enjoy it. I live in in a in a rural setting, so I have some space that I call home that I can walk. Like I could go for a walk and not leave my home. I could probably walk for about half an hour, forty five minutes if I wanted to, but it's really just a big circle around the yard, right? But the yard is not fenced or anything, so I can't just let the dog roam free. As soon as the doors open, it's the world. Like there's no barrier. So that's one of the things I do. Um, part of it's out of necessity, but part of it's also for self, you know, self care. I do a lot of thinking. I talk to myself. I talk to my dog while I'm walking her. I'll talk to myself. I'll problem solve. <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, I call that asking for expert advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I say stuff, or or you know, I think about stuff that might not be appropriate around you know others. It's not that it's dangerous. I'm not. The things I think about are not necessarily concerning to anyone, but it's just there's a time and a place for everything, right? So you think about stuff you normally wouldn't when you have an opportunity. That's one of my self-care things. I love music. Uh, I would love to get into a situation where I'm uh, writing again or playing. It's been a long time. Maybe you can start prioritizing that when the dust settles a little bit, right? Like yeah. Transition to a new role, you know, get acclimated, Figure out the team. Yeah. Uh, every job has its own ups and downs. Every job has its own uh, trials and tribulations. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe get a feel for the new position. You know, get the summer in. Yeah. Hopefully, take some time off. Enjoy yeah. some holidays. Um, my music is kind of seasonal almost. I mm-hmm. find myself mm-hmm. in this exact studio more often in the fall to winter months. When it gets dark, you know, at like five o'clock in the afternoon, yep, yep. you know, um, I, I hope, I hope you get back into that. Um, I hope you get back into writing music and playing and for no other reason, just for your own self-satisfaction. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to. It would be, you know, if you get those questions, you could probably do a podcast on this very subject. What would you do if you won the lottery and just get people to answer the question? That'd be one of the things that I would do. I'd have a space in my home. I don't have a space in my home right now that's dedicated to my option to go and just be creative musically. I would absolutely have a space for that. No question. I miss it a lot. It was a part, it's a hu- it is a huge part of me, but I'm not participating in it anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what yeah. you mean. I know exactly what you mean. I've, I'm, I ebb and flow when it comes to music. Um, sometimes I just, I get the itch and I'll play, you know, daily mm-hmm. for a while. And then other times I just, I just don't, Yeah, I just don't. And, and not like I'm, I'm great or anything, but it's a good release. It's just, it's a way to express yourself. I'm not a drawer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't particularly, uh, enjoy art, mm-hmm. physical art. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's just my release, just strumming a song mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. Problem solving. I sometimes problem solve with an instrument in my hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I hope I hope you explore those options. Yeah, it's uh, it's something I I feel like it's it's getting closer to the point of just from wanting to do it, transitioning to need to do it. You know, it's just never been. I've never been able to make it a priority. So that decision is mine, right? But I, uh, yeah, I'd love to do that again. I think that would be probably my best form of self-care 
but I don't like performing. I don't enjoy performing live. I like to be in studio. Uh, or just like, a, I just, I'm not that, that guy. <clears throat> you know, you'll never see me fronting, you know, like uh, a massively successful band. I'm, I don't, I wouldn't fulfill that role the way that I believe it should be fulfilled. Well, the good news for you is you know somebody with a studio. True. <laughs> that is so true. It won't be today, but we can definitely arrange yeah. for that. Awesome. We can definitely arrange for that. That would be a lot of fun. Because that's something I, I want to prioritize again. Yeah. Uh is more music. Mm-hmm. For for just for myself. Yeah. Right? Like I'm not yeah. out yeah, I'm not out to make it big. Mm-hmm. Um just for no other reason than just to rekindle things that I thoroughly enjoyed when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just sitting around playing some songs and and yeah, using it as a creative outlet. Yeah. Because so I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I asked you, how do you take care of yourself? Uh, because I'm genuinely interested because it's not something I do very well either, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I wake up silly early in the morning. I go to work, come home. I'm a parent, do the thing. Next thing you know, it's bedtime and you go to yeah. bed and, and you don't spend a lot of time doing what you like. And not, not even saying you should be doing it every day, right? Mm-hmm. You can't, you know, the self-satisfaction, you know, sometimes you have to put it on the back burner, but... It, that's something I always struggle with is trying to find time for myself. Yeah. That's part of the reason actually why we're doing what we're doing today. That was one of my decisions to do this yeah. as an excuse to do what I want to do yeah. for an hour or two a week. Yeah. And yeah. this is what it is. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, I've, I've, I see a pattern in me. Like, uh, I call it closing the loop. It's, you know, there's things that, you know, what a bucket list, of course, you call it that. I just call those things closing the loop. So a couple of examples for things that I've done where I've closed the loop. I met uh, a friend of mine in grade six. It was uh, 1986, 87 when I met this person. And uh, we stayed really, really close our whole life really but the significant period of time was from grade 6 until the end of grade 12 where it would be nothing for me to see this person 5 6 days of the week we've traveled together with our families uh like I've gone with his family somewhere and he's come with mine to visit other family and do stuff and but uh you know he moved his family moved back to Prince Edward Island right after we finished grade 12. That was 1993. So in, he was leaving, he stayed for the summer. His family left in June, right before our grad. And then his plan was to stay for the summer, have some fun, and then move in in October. So he stayed at my place quite a bit, like with my parents during that time. And he was here and there doing his thing. And and then when he was moving, uh, I went with him. It was my first time really out of Ontario, really. We went to Prince Edward Island. And uh, I went in the fall. It was October. And then came home and uh, life carried on. But it's very different for me. I was missing my, you know, closest friend at that point in my life. So uh, I always, you know, we'd, every time that I'd see him, it would be him that was traveling to Ontario to see me. 
with a couple of exceptions. Um, the first one was uh, when he's a Detroit Red Wings fan and when the Wings were closing, when Joe Louis Arena was closing and they were building Little Caesars Arena, uh, he got tickets to the last couple of games at the Joe. And the second last game was against the Montreal Canadiens, and I'm a, a, an undedicated Montreal Canadiens fan. You know, uh, that's who I'd identify as my team. But, like, I don't have, you know, uh, you know, a bunch of gear, like Habs gear. I, that's just my team. Um, so I jokingly made a comment to him and said, got an extra ticket by any chance? He goes, no, man. And then not long after that, I got a message from him that said a ticket actually came up for the, the game against the Habs. Just letting you know. So I talked to Christy about it, and we figured, yeah, I can make this work. So I remember we had a massive snowstorm the night before I was to drive to Detroit from home. And it was a snow day. Like, I was working for the school board at the time, and it was a snow day. So I actually, like, I couldn't get out of my driveway that morning. But I had to get to Detroit. So the day went on, and the storm, you know, settled, and there was it wasn't snowing anymore, and the roads were getting cleared off gradually. So I did make it. Uh, I was I showed up late to work, but I ended up getting to work. It took me quite a bit, and then I continued on and drove to Detroit. So we, that's a whole other story. Actually, that that trip uh, is a whole other story. But uh, that was the one time, and then the second time we met and went to a concert in Montreal. Um, our mutual favorite band was playing there and they weren't coming to Toronto. So I drove to Montreal and met him there and then we went. We were there two nights. Can you get that microphone just a little closer? For sure. Sorry about that. But then, uh, you know, so when we were talking during COVID, it was his birthday last year. And I said, yeah, we got to plan something. He goes, you know, like, uh, you've never come here. And I said, yeah, you're right. And, uh, it had been 29 years. So I figured, you know what? I'm going to do this. And I uh, booked a flight by myself for the first time ever in my life. And I was there for five nights in the summer of 2022. So I closed that loop. I finally got back to where, you know, I'd been. That doesn't mean that I'm done it now. It just means that it was something that I wanted to, I always wanted to do again. So it's interesting you say that. Um, I mentioned this on my last episode uh, with Sean Scally, um, but uh, I like when things get closed around as well. If you look at the logo of the show, uh, it's a silhouette of me, mm-hmm. and I'm wearing a tie. Now, I don't normally wear ties, but for this picture uh, that actually my oldest daughter Marissa made, so much uh, love and respect for that. She did a fantastic job. Yes, but, if you, but if you look at the picture... It's a picture, a silhouette of me with a tie, and the tie goes up and around, and it points back from where it begins again mm. to close the loop. Yeah, love it. That's the whole. That's the whole idea behind it. Love it is to come up with an idea or guest, discuss it, think about it, come up with a cool solution mm-hmm. like we have today. I feel like we've sorted some stuff out. Um, I don't want to keep you all day. I feel like we could do this forever. I mean, <laughs> we're knocking on an hour and a half right now. Are you serious? So, um, so, but, but that's, I'm big on that. Yeah. That's the whole thing of my logo is that the, uh, the belt, the tie comes around and points back from where it begins yeah. to bring it all together. Yeah. It binds. <laughs> you got it. The you got it. binds. Yeah. So I like that. I, I, I like to hear that 
you've it's come full circle for you. Yeah, yeah. And I suspect in my predictions, this might just be the beginning for you. Yeah. Like you're embarking upon a new, likely scary uh, endeavor. Yeah. Whenever it is you move positions, whether that's next week or next month. But yeah, I I can see that. I can see that being a challenging transition, but it'll just come full loop. Yeah. And and you, you said earlier, like things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is just the necessary steps to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I Right place, right time, you know, and there's, I've had little messages along the way. Um, I'm not going to take too much time talking about this, but you know, when I had that interview I talked about, which was the best interview I've ever, I've ever had, uh, you know, I had applied for two different positions and went to that interview with the intention I was applying for or interviewing for a specific position that I actually never got into. Um, when I went to the interview, I was asked, uh, there was three different options. And one of the per- people who was interviewing me was the supervisor that I ended up having. And it was, there was two options that were available to me, available to me at one office and one option at this other office. The office was in an area that I had worked in, in my past career, in, in my past roles. And the name of that supervisor who was supervising me, I found it strange because it was the, the my grandmother's name, my father's mother's name, who I never met, she passed before I was born, but the same spelling of the name. And it's, it's Jeanette is the name um, with two N's. But that was unique because uh, it's not the common way to spell the name. It's an option, but it's not the most common. But um, it's my daughter's middle name because we named our first child after three of her great-grandparents, her great-grandmothers. And my grandmother's name, Jeanette, is the second middle name. But the birth on the birth registration, there's only one. <laughs> so that was my message. Like, you can be on Jeanette's team. So I said, your name's, like, I just thought to myself, and the vibe I got from her was very much like, yeah. So that's why I chose the option that I was given to be on that team. And then the role that I had actually applied for became open on Jeanette's team. So I, I was able to move into that role, which I'm still just in now, just finishing up. So you suspect that maybe it was yours all along, that yeah. there was little signs that just always gravitated you towards wherever that had to be, using the name Jeanette with two ends as the vehicle yeah. to make that happen. Yeah. The funny thing is, is that the role I'm moving into, my supervisor's name is Jeanette. With one N. <laughs> That's what I call her because when when I used to have some interactions with her and my former supervisor who moved on to a different role in a different agency, but I was speaking to two Jeanettes and she was Jeanette with one N. So I'm, I'm actually carrying on, like I'm still going to have Jeanette as a supervisor. Uh, my current supervisor is a Jennifer. That's my sister's name. I don't think that that was taken from my grandmother, that they just varied it from Jeanette to Jennifer, but it's just funny how there's always been little messages along the way for me that no one else would see much significance to, but it's, you know, for me, the you know, uh, I, I pay attention to some of that stuff. And what do you do with that information, do you think? 
it's kind of like finding a dime, you know? Kind of guides you along your way. Is that my grandmother? Obviously not. Like, the person that's sitting in that role is not my grandmother. But for me, is it my grandmother that's telling me that this is the choice to make? I don't know. I'd like to think so. Are you a spiritual man? I am, but I'm not a religious man. You you maybe identify more, like I mentioned, Cliff, uh, to the sun or yes, the water yes. or the air or the earth. The moon. The moon. The, the uh, moon. Mother Nature herself. Yes. Uh, and, or maybe all of it, perhaps. Creation. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm dabbling in that, but I've definitely wondered maybe a little bit. Um, I've I've spent a little bit of time learning about the creation of the Earth. You know, you know, fourteen point whatever billion years old, and mm-hmm. you know, the running theory is is it was a Big Bang mm-hmm. that started off what they seem to estimate as smaller than the head of a pin, and just an enormous sum of energy blew it up. But yeah, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's just happenstance that we're here. It's too coincidental, right? Like mm-hmm. they call us the Goldilocks planet. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. not coincidental. Yeah. I, I, maybe it is. Maybe it is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think I'm the right person to even start this conversation. So maybe we won't. But but yeah, I know what you mean. You know what blows your mind if you think about the fact that uh, everything you need for life to be sustained is within a speck of a star. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, it's it's too good to be true. Like, our sun is a star right? A smaller star. But everything that makes it so that we have life here on our mother, the earth, all of the elements necessary for that were within a speck of a star. We are stardust. We came from stars. Well, carbon-based life. Yes. That I don't know if it's coincidental or not. How can it be? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And and then how how is it, you know, how can it be that there's no other life. How is that possible when we know that a star has what's necessary for life to exist? Every star has that. Yeah, because they're all the same. So here's the tricky thing, right? This James Webb telescope, in my opinion, you're familiar with it. No, no. They created the James Webb telescope that replaced the... Oh, Hubble telescope. Okay. Now the Hubble telescope was in orbit for a long time. Yeah. So they've created and built a new one. It's called the James Webb telescope. I'm gonna now that we're talking about it, I'll find a link and put it in the show notes, so everyone could check it out. the The imagery mm-hmm. that this telescope sends back to Earth is some of the most breathtaking sights you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The problem with it is not a problem with it. More so is the fact that it's so powerful. Um. We're talking like billions of light years away here, mm-hmm. um, and we just can't see any farther away. Mm-hmm. Just the light hasn't gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. That's how far, like it's actually, in a weird way, it's actually looking back in time mm-hmm. because it's so far away. The pictures it's taking are so incredibly far away. It's actually like in the past. Yeah. Just the speed of light hasn't gotten there yet. Like yeah. it just literally, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. There's, but we, is there other things going on in the universe? There has to be, but we just can't see it. Mm -hmm. We just can't see it because we're just, we're high functioning apes Mm -hmm. is what we are. We're just high functioning apes that work and drive cars. You know, I think one of the things that we don't really get the weight of is that we are only one of 
I don't know how many species on this earth that depend on all of the species on this earth to continue to do what they do in order for us to have life in balance with the earth. And we're the only species that has lost or not carried out our responsibility to all of those other beings. We're the only species because every other species carries out its responsibilities. Based off of the fact that we have opposable thumbs and we have been able to develop a speech, so therefore we're superior and we just take. We're just takers, right? Not you specifically, but as a global, as, as a whole. As a species. As a species, we're yeah. consumers. We, Absolutely. We provide very little to nature. Mm-hmm. We, we rape and we pillage and we use and we abuse and give very little back because of opposable thumbs mm-hmm. and the ability to form sentences, I suspect. And we also are probably the only species that uh, believe in the not visible, that we're aware of, right? Well, that's the kicker is is not visible. We adopt what can be only identified as, if it was any other species, it'd be an artificial thing, another artificial concept that we adopt as rule. The laws of nature are just as they are, but the things that we adopt and put put, uh, importance to are artificial to the rest of... Seems like maybe our priorities are a little bit backwards. I can't disagree with that. Potentially. I mean, what yeah. you value and what I value might be similar on paper, but as a whole, yeah, maybe we're we're not putting the right amount of onus and the right amount of energy where we should be. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what to do about that. I don't know. I think it's bigger than the both of us. Oh, by far. Yeah. Hey, let's hope that the person who needs to hear this is l- going to listen. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and, and maybe it takes a single step of action to make something happen that's going to be beneficial. I don't know. It's, uh, let's hope. That's all we can do. I, uh, I could do this with you forever, Claude. Um, I, I have a lot of respect for your valuable time, so I don't want to hold you too much longer. Can you do me a favor? Um, I'm looking not specifically for me. I just had this brainwave a second ago. Um, I would love to wrap this up, but I would I would love for a piece of advice from you. If you could give me advice, give somebody advice, maybe give your wife or kids some advice, or maybe my wife or my kids, if you have something to offer mm. and somebody's looking for advice from you, I'm putting you on the spot, but no, that's kind of what's fun about it. Yeah. I love, oh, I love doing I this. I think that that's great. Can you give some advice and then we'll wrap this bitch up? Sure. And, uh, this is not my quintessential advice you know, for, for life. But I really think that if you adopt the mindset of two ears, one mouth, um, and always remember that there's a minimum of three sides to every story, figure out what is valuable enough or what you're willing to invest enough in to find out the other sides, the other perspectives. And that really helps you to um, recognize that, you know, it's not as simple as black or white when it comes to making decisions. There are always a number of factors to consider. It's a tough mantra to live by, though, because sometimes you just need to get stuff done. But we can harm people and things and beings by not considering those other 
factors, right? Those other perspectives. We're such a, a results-driven society. Yeah. And you're right. Sometimes you just have to do it, yeah. whatever that is, whether you hammer that nail yeah. or build the such and such or go to where you got to go just it, with little to little to no regard of the consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. Two ears, one mouth. Yeah. Do twice as much listening as you do speaking. That's right. Do you practice that? I, I try. think I think you do. I try. But I've I talk al- a lot. I've always, I've always uh, felt very comfortable uh, in your presence. I always thought you were a good communicator and a good listener. Thank you. I always, I always felt very comfortable. Um, I remember I told this last night. Uh, one of the very first conversations you and I ever had, as we're sitting on a Greyhound bus to go to, to go to Buffalo, and I had spent most of the night before doing stupid things, drinking homemade liquor. And and you're sitting in the seat in front of me, and you're telling me how you you don't stick with a signature very long. Yeah. That you frequently change your signature, yeah. and I've been perfecting mine since I was like in grade ten. Yeah. Um, God, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I just remember thinking, like, what an obscure conversation, but we had it, and it was a good a good conversation, a good discussion yeah. that gave me something to think about that I'd never and you know really never put a lot of weight into since, but. But good sage advice. Yeah. Do you still do that? I've stuck with the one that I have now for quite some time. And one of the reasons why is actually because, you know, when I would change my signature often, I was having to write my signature quite a bit on a daily basis. Um, Because when I was doing supervised access, we would record our notes for the visits in written form. And the bottom of each page required a signature. And after you do it so many times, you're like, you know, it kind of starts to look a little messy. You evolve. We're constantly changing. So, you know, you, you get an idea or you just, you end up like sometimes you're just kind of practicing your signature. And then you decide you want to try something different. Something happens. You must make a mistake putting your signature on a piece of paper. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. I like that. And, uh, yeah, but but what's what's changed recently is, you know, that I now have the ability to sign a document without putting pen to paper. I I have a PDF that I can put my signature on. So I use that signature and when I'm I'm actually writing my signature pen to paper, I try to stick to that because it's actually a pretty cool looking signature now, but uh Yeah, I just I haven't really changed it. I think what I have now is working. Great. Stick with it, Claude. Yeah. Um I can't thank you enough for being here. I can't thank you enough. No, I've done nothing. All I did was give you the vessel to tell the story. <laughs> That's all it is. Um, I'd like to do this again. Absolutely. We, we'll sort that out. Those are minor details. For sure. But thanks a lot, Claude. Thank um, you. You're, you're an important person to me, and I hope somebody listens to this, and I hope they take something away from this. And I got some notes here that we didn't touch on any of them. But that's fine. We don't have to. That's great. So when do we start recording? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it so feels you, like we've just been sitting here chatting. That's exactly what we've done. Yeah. But we figured some stuff out, and uh, you gave some sage advice. So for that, I thank you. All right. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This is uh, my friend, Claude. And, uh, yeah, thanks a lot, Claude. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Miigwech for listening. <laughs>